Hello everyone and welcome back to Positive Parenting. I am your host, Hananya Abraham, and we are in episode 6. I thank you everyone that has reached out and commented, critiqued, shown support, and even have set up some personal consultations that we can discuss parenting further. We are still in chapter 1 on what is the goal and what are we going to be doing over here. We are on page 26, halfway down, and we are up to an example from clinical practice comes to mind. A couple, says Dr. Ptorsky, who could not have children, were finally able to adopt a healthy little boy, just a few weeks old. As the child grew older, he became increasingly more difficult to manage and seemed to have great difficulty communicating and socializing. This progressed to the point where he became a threat to their second child, a son born to them about two years after they had adopted their first child. The painful diagnosis, excuse me, the painful diagnosis was finally made that their adopted child was autistic. These parents have continued to amaze me in in their dedication to this child and their lack of regrets at having adopted him and their firm belief that God gave them this child and that he was meant to be their own. The child's progress in therapy is no doubt due to a great degree of their attitude, which allows them to give freely of themselves and to meet his needs. Which is amazing. The fact that you could have people that can be so dedicated for a child that's not even theirs, I think it shows how amazing parents can be and how dedicated someone can be to a cause. And obviously over here, it's for a child. I think this story has actually come up in other books from Dr. Torsky as well, and He's talked about this dedication and how you can go so far in your way of thinking and your mindset and how helpful it could be is when you have two people on the same page trying to do the same thing, which is to give a, their, the best possible life to a child. Let us avoid a possible major pitfall. Putting oneself at a child's disposal is by, knowing, by no means applies that the parent is asked to become a shadow-like presence, catering to every whim of the child. Rather, it means that the parent puts all of his inner resources in the service of raising the child. So the the parent does everything they can with their own personal capabilities to raise this child properly. Looking at it this way resolves a paradox. A parent needs to be strong, determined, caring, focused, hardly a doormat, or a menial worker, the role of the mother, or the Jewish mother, has been aptly likened to that of the head of a school, or a Rosh Yeshiva. Just as the Rosh Yeshiva, just as the headmaster guides his pupils and watches over them for their own benefit, the parent's investment in their child is not for the sake of the parent, but a means to bring their children to reach their fullest potential as individuals. As, Jew, as Jews, and to bring them closer to God, each in their own way. I'm adding those, those last words, but I think that that's, it's important for parents to realize that, that they are doing what they're doing, not for their own sake. It's not so that they can say, my child went to Harvard. That's not called being a good parent. Being a good parent is being proud of knowing that your child put in the best possible effort in whatever it is that they're doing. Both with a parent and with and with the headmaster, with the Rosh Hashiva, 
It is a determination that does not have at its goal the celebration of one's ego. This analogy is clearly stated in actual Talmud. Whoever teaches a child Torah is as though he has given birth to him. Which is unbelievable, the fact that you could teach someone something, not be yours, but yet it's considered as if you gave birth to them. Because you're doing something that's for his own benefit. Nothing to do with you. Let us therefore draw a distinction between ego involvement and self-investment. Ego involvement, says Dr. Torsky, in a child's upbringing views the child primarily as a source of parental enhancement. The nachas that children, God willing, bring to parents are uh, are experienced as tributes to parental competence or as indicators of social status and personal superiority. Which I think is so cool because he's pretty much saying over here that you make sure that when you are a parent, the concept of what nachas is and giving pleasure is pretty selfish. I did hear this in a speak uh, in a speech by a big educator um, in Connecticut, talking about this. When parents asked them, "What about me? What about what, when do I get my turn to sort of bask in the glory of my child?" He says, "Never. That's not what your goal should be. If that's where your goal is. You're in the wrong profession. You should not be a parent because my son and I am so proud to show him off to my friends. That's not the reason why we become parents." The parent feels entitled to these gifts on the child and needs them to preserve his own self-esteem. In contrast, the parent who has little ego involvement but a high self-investment can experience the nachas that a child brings as, uh, as expressions of a child's growth as a Jew and as a person and feedback that he is on the right track as a parent. So when you hear nice things, whether it's in PTA, the report card, from neighbors and from friends' parents... That's That should be a fuel to continue doing what you're doing, but use as fuel where there is self-investment, but not about the other person. Now, there's no ego involvement, but it's about self-investment. The result is enjoyed, the enjoyment of the child for his own sake and gratitude to, to, toward God for his blessings. I think that goes so far. I, one thing I would add to this, I did hear this from a rabbi in Waterbury, Connecticut, a uh, Rabbi Sunshine, who said, you should never be apologizing for your child. Don't make it that what your child is doing is a reason for you to have an excuse for something. A child should not be an excuse for anything. And you should never apologize, because that means that they're there for you. And I'm adding, I'm adding those last words. That's not the quote from, from the rabbi, but... I think that concept of not apologizing, it's because they are who they are. And we're proud and happy for who they are and what they mean to us because of who they are. Not for any other reason. And I think as parents sometimes we have to realize that they are doing what they're doing, not because of us, but because that's who they need to be. And that's what they're doing. And that's our job to assist them to becoming the best versions of themselves and nothing else. Finishing up page 27 over here, the parent who is primarily driven by ego involvement interprets the same experience very different than the parent who has invested himself in the parental task. When parental expectations and needs correspond to the child's natural uh, implications, 
talents and capabilities, this relationship may be flawed, can still work. But the ego boost that one gets from my son, the Talmud Chacha, my son, the top of the class, or my daughter, the well-known educator, are coincidences and in, and in constant need of reaffirmation. Dr. Torsky says over here, one patient complained to his therapist, I am sick and tired of being a nachas machine, of being something that's being shown off. This is what Salman cautioned. Train the child according to his way. The child's makeup and needs must be understood, and you do what is best for them. Children are often very much aware of their parents' needs and their role in fulfilling them. Fulfilling them as adults, they pose a challenge in therapy of having to work through a sense of alienation of themselves and their identity. When the parents are primarily ego-driven, this house of cards tends to fall apart if the child does not correspond to the parent's image and is different or truly makes mistakes. And I see that constantly. Are you parenting the child? Are you parenting for your sake of parenting? This is the way I, I, I say it, at least as, as a therapist. If you're going to be, chi- be parenting the child, then whatever it is that they need to be the best version of themselves, putting aside your own ego and your own boasting that you like doing, that'll have nothing to do with what's best for the child or the outcome of the child. That's what our job is, to be parenting the child and doing things for their need, even when we don't like it, even when we don't agree, even when we think it's not the right thing. The important point is that I'm speaking as a parent, just as much as I am as a therapist, but really as a parent, as I say this, and I'm really talking to myself, knowing that I have a few different kids that are always wanting to do certain things that I completely disagree with regarding what I think is either fun, recreational, safe, healthy, with the things they want to eat. I think it's important to have that understanding of what's right for this child in this situation. And I may not not agree with this. They shouldn't be out of the house after a certain amount of time. But you know what? School is over now. So maybe they should be able to have a little more free time. They should be able to be a little more lax in the things that they eat. A little bit more. Give them more opportunity to have things that we wouldn't let during the year just because diet could have a very, very high impact on behavior and academic work that's done. So I am talking to myself when I say it's important to make sure you have that balance. But know exactly what the right thing is for that child. And that's what we're learning from Solomon. In talks about in uh, in Proverbs 22, 6. Finishing up the paragraph over here. Since the parental ego is so tied to the child's success, it becomes extremely difficult for such parents to acknowledge a problem to get help and to dis- uh, disclose the extent of their other difficulties of, that the child is experience, experiencing. Often, this results in denial, covering up, and blaming everyone else. The child, unfortunately, gets lost in all of this. I recently dealt with this in a situation where a kid was in a Ivy League school and failing all of his classes. And when we talked about it, he had no interest of being there. He was there because his parents are, were the ones that wanted him to go there. His parents were the ones that actually filled out all of his applications. His parents were the ones that took away every single weekend of his in 11th grade so he could study for the SATs. 
there was no wonder that there was resentment at home, and he was looking forward to the day of leaving leaving their home. So, continuing uh, continuing over here, we're on page twenty eight. Given our uh, excuse me, given our flaws as human beings, it is not astonishing that all of us, perhaps with the exception of a few saintly persons, are involved with our children at some level of ego involvement. This should not cause us to feel guilty. Rather, the task is for us to become aware of our particular weakness and blind spots. And I think what he means of is it's having the awareness of knowing what to be doing. Our ego-driven goals and our expectations of the child and our difficulties in accepting even positive traits in our children when they do not correspond to our wishes and our needs. Self-awareness results in self-knowledge. But that's the first step is knowing and understanding, hey, I need to fix certain things, and these are the things that I need to be fixing. This allows a parent to change a destructive, ego-driven wish and helps to overcome selfish needs that can be detrimental to the child, because now I will do what's right for them, even though I might not agree with it. If this does not happen, parents and children can get stuck in a destructive circle of fear, disappointment, resentment, and understanding. And I would also add alienation and complete lack of of any sort of communication between parent and child. We need to be clear in our minds that our task as parents is to invest ourselves in our children without engaging ourselves in a self-centered way. Sometimes our ego involvement is easily evident. Other times it is covered up and held in, uh, and hidden. Ego involvement does not necessarily refer to a drive for feeling superior to others as when we say, he has a huge ego. Rather, it may re- re- refer to certain needs of our own which are not necessarily those of the child, and may conceivably be in contrary to the own child's interest. Whether it's... Now, we have to know that there's a balance to it. Let's say there's a certain part as a, as a parent where you no matter what, their child must, must, must finish high school, and they have to do everything. They have to do whatever, to have more tutors, have some weekends off. The parent does have a right, as long as the person's living under their under their roof, to be in a situation and say, hey, there are certain things that are non-negotiable, and a, and a high school diploma is, is vital to whatever it is you're going to be doing in life. But let's say the, chi- the, the child doesn't want to go to college. For the parent to go ahead and force a kid to go to college or to law school, to become a doctor, who said they're going to be in a, in a good situation in, in, those, in those situations anyway. The point is helping the child if they want to become do art, become an entrepreneur, learn learn about marketing, online, digital stuff, we can take courses for it, not necessarily go to college. You have to know what's best for the child. And to say, my my son is happy at your next holiday party, at your next cocktail party, and he's living his best life right now, he's volunteering, he's in a great relationship, is so much better than the parent can, that, you know, that has forced their child to do so many things academically, taken away so many things socially from their child, and now the, but the parent can now say, oh, my son's in Harvard. Who's to say that that's better? I don't think it is. I think we're proving from here that's really not. We have to know what to do in those situations, to when to and how to push, and when we're pushing for us. One mother was driven to distraction by one of her sons, who from the earliest days was fiercely independent, insisting on doing things by himself and learning by his own mistakes. He would not accept help or guidance. And his most famous words were, Don't worry, Ima. Don't worry, Mom. Which was precisely when she began worrying. She was extremely frustrated by having to restrain herself from offering any help unless he asked for it. 
It should not have been posed as a severe problem, since many children are highly individualistic in every sense of the word and prefer self-sufficiency with all of its drawbacks rather than being helped. And I think there is something to be said about learning in a way where you practice on the job, so to speak. In therapy, it emerged that this woman's father was a self-made man, eminently practical and organizer and a leader. He was domineering and lectured to his children. They had to be passive, receptive audience. As a child, this woman was frustrated by her father's lack of being receptive of her juvenile ideas and wishes, and her, and her child's attitude of fierce independence triggered an association with her frustration towards her father. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And obviously she's going to want to be the opposite. So when her son is doing the things the opposite, it's going to trigger those thoughts. She was essentially carrying over to her child her own early childhood attitudes towards her father. When she realized this, she was able to think through her reactions towards him, and the parenting process was greatly fixed. This, too, is ego involvement, not reacting to a child's independence objectively, but being affected by a personal attitude. I should really underline that, because I think that's, that's important, because I might feel something is the right thing to be doing. We have to know how to go about doing it. A remnant of her own feelings of frustration that had never been completely resolved. Let's go a little bit further over here. I think we could read at least another page as we continue over here. A fairly reliable sign of ego involvement is the degree of hurt, upset, or anger that we feel towards a child. When our feelings are out of proportion to the offense of the problem at hand, we can be pretty sure that we are dealing with a considerable degree of ego involvement. So if I'm upset that my daughter came home a half hour later than she was supposed to, simply for the reason that I wasn't able to go to sleep a half hour earlier because I was waiting for her to come home, why am I upset? Am I upset at her? Am I upset that I wasn't able to go ahead and do something? That's where the concept of ego comes from. Even when a problem is really significant and a child has got himself into actual trouble, we can become aware of our ego involvement when we notice that we are more concerned with what it means for us. Let's say the embarrassment. The example here is I won't be able to show my face in synagogue, but I don't think that's enough of a case. It's, I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything because of, the, of this thing, thing that you did. And this thing, this is, goes into play what, and with what we were just saying before, that we should never feel bad or apologize for our, for our child. Our child is who they are. And when our own reaction prevents us from constructive problem solving and getting help for the, if the child is in trouble, that's where we have a problem. Self-reflection and self-awareness are the prerequisites of putting our ego in the background. Being aware of our own issues allows us to bracket our own issues and keep them separate. This enables us as parents to deal with the issue constructively and in the child's best interest. Self-awareness allows a parent to invest in himself or invest his self into his child for the child's good. I'm making fun of myself here again. I am waving my hand, and I'm like trying to put a highlighter over that last sentence. But I want to read it again and talk about it here for a second. Self-awareness allows a parent to invest his self into the child for the child's good. Let's say someone is really into their car. They have a fancy car, or they have an old classic car. There's a lot of work that's needed in order to make that car run well and last for a long time. Now, you may have to do certain things that you have to get your hands dirty, so to speak, 
might take a long time, but you know what? If it's going to be helpful going forward, you'll do it. You have to change the oil and get yourself all gooey from, from the oil that comes out. If you have to you know, hurt your back a little bit just because of the amount that you are bending over into the engine as you're trying to fix something, you'll do it. You'll get a couple of scrapes here and there, but it's the right thing to do because you want your car to last. Same exact thing with a child. There are many things that are going to happen that you're going to have to bend over backwards. You're going to have to go into things blindly of how to deal with certain things. But you know what? It's for the child's benefit. And you have to be so self-aware to know and be non-judgmental over the situation. Like, oh, I hate this. Well, okay, take the I hate out of this. Just think and talk about what is specific for the child and what the child needs. This description continues, Dr. Torsky, and we're on page 30, uh, we're on page 30 for those that are following. This description of parenting is no doubt daunting and very, di- and, and very, very formidable. It is a task that demands the best of us and at its best becomes for the parent a stepping stone towards self-growth and increased closest to God. And I think your spirituality is, is for sure going to be more just by the fact that I'm now in a place where I understand what the right thing is. I know what to be doing, not for me, but for the child. I think we're going to stop here. This has been a really, really uh, mo- moment of, of growth for me and things that I know of self-reflection that I need to work on. Maybe I'll get a chance to talk about how I'm going to be working on this from now until the next time we meet. But until then, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I enjoy reading this book with you. If you have any questions, please reach out at koshercounseling at gmail.com.